Writer Mark Nepo tells the story about being in Santa Monica on a busy street, sitting at a cafe one day when he noticed um, that there was this wealthy businessman walking down the street. And also, there was a man who was homeless lying on the street. And as the, the, the businessman was walking down, he, something in this window caught his eye, and so he, he walked over to look more closely at this sweater. And as he got close, um, he had to step over the man who was homeless in order to get a closer look at this sweater. And so he just literally stepped over this, this guy, and this guy just kept sleeping. And he looked at the sweater, and he walked away without either ever acknowledging or really seeing each other. And Mark said he kind of sat there for a moment trying to take that in. And as the sunlight came into the alley that was next to the store, he looked into the alley and there was another man who was in a wheelchair, obviously also spending time on the street, and this man's head was resting along the wall, and the man just looked at Mark and Mark looked at him, and they held each other's gaze for what seemed like minutes at a time, was probably a few seconds. And this contrast between, between the exchange of the businessman and the guy on the street and Mark's, Mark's moment of seeing this man um, in the wheelchair began to define for him what, what true care looks like. And he wrote this, he said, I have realized since that what matters gets covered quickly, but underneath all the noise and pain, we all keep searching for and running from this moment. It is the jewel inside every stone, the dark seed waiting for light, the heartbeat of everything waiting for a way to show itself in our hurried world. What does it mean to truly see someone? There's something deeply familiar in this story that, that Mark tells, questions that I am always asking myself. How, how do we engage with the world around us? Why and how is it that we often ignore each other and don't see the beings that we share this planet with? And what does it mean to truly see another person? And how do we determine what our response should be? And yet, how complex it is to answer those questions in a world that is full of problems that we can't even begin to get our minds and our heads and our hands around. And our story from the Gospel of John begins to take us into this complexity this morning. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we are so great, grateful that you see us, and we pray that we may truly be those who see others. And may the words of my mouth this morning and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story in John has, has so many questions in it. 
There's first Jesus walking into nearby this pool where it's said that, that if an angel touched the water and you were the first person to get there, you would be healed. And so we can imagine all of these people laying around this pool, hoping to be lucky enough to get to this water. And if you've ever struggled or known someone who's struggled with a long-term illness, you know how, how murky it can be, how difficult it can be to find that diagnosis or the right treatment to help end the years and years, months and months of suffering. And so here's a group of people that are all hoping they can just get there soon enough to touch that water. And Jesus identifies this man who's been there for 38 years hoping to be lucky enough to touch the water. And he asks this very simple question, do you want to be made well? I'm really familiar with this question. <laughs> you know, you look at people and, and you think, okay, they've got all these problems, you know, is this a mind over a matter kind of situation? Like, do they really want to be made well? Is it a bootstrap situation where they need to just pull themselves up and get, get their healing or solve their own problem? Is there something, something missing in this? Is there some way that, that they may be at fault for this? Do you really want to be made well? Because, because when we see someone who's been suffering for a long time or we look at problems that are so complex in our world, it's, it's, we want a simple solution. Certainly they don't want it enough. <laughs> Certainly there's got to be an easy way to solve this. And yet, oftentimes there's not. But Jesus asks this question, do you want me being well? And, and the man begins to give him whether true or not, whether valid or not, a list of excuses and reasons why he hasn't been able to be made well. He doesn't have anyone there with him. He's isolated, doesn't have anyone to help him get to the water. And he can't walk fast enough to beat out the other people who do. And so Jesus um, enters into this we don't know exactly what's going on with this guy and, and what the problem is, but Jesus gives a very simple solution. Well then, take up your mat and walk. And the man does. End of story, right? <laughs> Happily ever after. And yet this man picks up his mat on the Sabbath. And so the minute that he walks away from the pool, he's accused of breaking all sorts of cultural norms. So instead of everyone saying, oh my gosh, look what just happened. This man who's been lame for 38 years is walking and is well. They, we see that he's embedded into this system of do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts. And even this very simple healing becomes complex because there's this system of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And so that we see his individual problem of just needing to be healed is actually part of this larger problem of a system that is working against him and, and can't see or honor or acknowledge or celebrate a simple healing. And this man is now put into this place where he has to, feels like he either has to blame someone or be blamed. So instead of taking the blame for picking up his mat, he blames Jesus who told him to pick up his mat. And the story continues to grow. And then you have Jesus who comes and, and says to him, in, finds him and says, 
I see you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. I kept reading the commentaries this week, trying to find a reason for Jesus to say this like really weird thing, and I have to tell you, I didn't find anything. <laughs> in the end, there was no, no good reason that I could find, and of course, we weren't there, and we can't hear the context and the, and the words that were spoken, but, but Jesus kind of enters into this complexity that this man is, is more than his illness. This man is more than the systems that he is a part of. There's also his own personal choice and um, relationship to God that's happening. And so as I was um, pondering this sermon and the title earlier this week, this is where I came up with the title, The Complexity of Caring. (laughs) Because it's complex. And it's hard to, to, to look through the, the maze of things that are happening and, and pull out something that, that we can really understand and find our ground for compassion and for helping another. I want to let you into, um, Ginger, I'm going to let them in on our inside joke, um, which is when Ginger and I went to see Brene Brown earlier this year in March, uh, she was speaking about how when she's asked hard questions she has kind of a standard answer that she gives. The first thing she says is, well, it's really complex. Well, it's actually a global issue. I think it might have something to do with gender. (laughs) And what she was saying is that sometimes we're asked these questions by people and we feel like we should know the answer, but we don't know the answer. So we say things like, well, it's really complex, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a global issue. And that's, that's our way of, of evading and looking more intelligent and more well-informed than we are on one hand. But it's also our way of saying there's so many things that we don't know the answer to. And we actually don't know how to begin to respond. And so that's a little hint for you when you feel like you're stuck in one of those situations. You can, you can use that. When it comes to issues of poverty and hunger, and injustice, and public health, and the vast inequities between the rich and the poor, and oppression, sometimes we are only left with words like complex and global. So how do we reach into that, into the enormity of pain in our world, and find a place to stand? One thing that I do appreciate about Jesus' interaction with this man in this text is how direct he is. He asks him very simple questions. Do you want to get well? And he engages with him at the soul level. Be careful that you don't sin anymore. There's something bigger than just your physical healing that you need to attend to. And so in the midst of all of this complexity, we see Jesus engaging and seeing this man. In the midst of all of the what should you do and what shouldn't you do and what are the religious norms and the social expectations, Jesus is directly looking into the eyes of this man and addressing him. As I was arriving in East Africa just a few weeks ago, and um, for those of you who don't know, I just returned from uh, three weeks in Rwanda and Burundi and Tanzania, Um, I was filled with the complexity of these questions. There's kind of this this guilt of of how, why should I spend thousands of dollars to to take this trip when those thousands of dollars could be used 
more effectively maybe here. You, you're maybe familiar with that question. There's the question or is the struggle of not wanting to exploit the poverty and the beautiful people we met with, with cute pictures that I can then post on social media and say, look what I'm doing with my new African friends that in some ways may cheapen or, or oversimplify their experience. I didn't want to raise expectations with our friends about what we could commit to financially as we come in as they call us the Mazungus, the foreigners. When they see us, they see potential great wealth and help for them, and, and there's a conflict in me over how much I can promise and, and what, what may be expected of me. And as important as all of these questions are, and I, I do wrestle with them constantly, it can, I realize they can, could prevent me from actually being there, from actually seeing people, from actually engaging with those people that I met. And so I determined um, to, to set them aside, and I had responses and had thought through many of them, set them aside in some way and to not prevent them from allowing me to see and to be present and also to be seen by the people that we met. And so there was this moment that I, I think I spoke of last week where we met um, perpetrators um, and victims of the genocide in Rwanda, and there's this one particular woman named Chantal who spoke. Chantal was, was thin and wiry and had these fierce, fierce eyes. And when she looked at you, it was like she was piercing right through your soul. And her whole family had been killed in the genocide. And it was uh, shared that, that every man that had been a perpetrator of the genocide had been scared of her post-genocide because she was an angry, angry person, rightfully so. And yet when she stood and she told about the process of forgiving those who had harmed her and those she loved, she, she for some reason locked eyes with me. And she just was speaking directly to me. And I kind of wanted to look away and, and share, you know, say, please look at someone else, you know, don't, don't talk just to me. And yet I decided in that moment to, to take it in, to look her fiercely back, to see my, my own fierceness reflected in her eyes and to, to give her the gift of seeing her in her pain and to give myself the gift of being seen in her story of forgiveness. It was one of those moments like Mark Nepo described on the streets of Santa Monica, that moment of, of being seen and, and finding in, in the midst of the complexity of the questions, in the mix of all of that, to find a moment of true connection and seeing and a ground for compassion and hopefully action. Being in Rwanda and considering the genocide of, of 24 years ago was more, felt more familiar than you might think. For many years there was a complex web that was woven there of colonialism and tribal division, of discrimination and inflammatory rhetoric that divided people. It a, was a complex tale that we see repeated all over our world today. 
where we are, we are divided by the complex issues and we're divided by how we think about them. And yet there was this quote from a survivor on the wall of the Genocide Museum that said this, if you knew me and you really knew yourself, you would not have killed me. If you knew me and you really knew yourself, you would not have killed me. That cuts through the complexity really quickly. We must dare to see and to know each other. Our questions, our systems, our institutions, all that is swirling around us are important to address, and yet they can't keep us from that moment of truly seeing each other, from living with that sight. As Mark Nepo said, it is the jewel inside every stone, the dark seed waiting for light, the heartbeat of everything waiting for a way to show itself in our hurried world. Amen. <laughs>